0: Hello, and welcome to American Muslim Project, I'm Assad Butt. American Muslim Project is a podcast where we share the contributions Muslims are making to American life. In each episode, we elevate unique Muslim voices that are shaping this American experience. My guest today is Sahra Ali, a writer and diversity and equity consultant. I first became aware of Sahra after reading her piece in Belt Magazine – The essay, called Coming of Age Between Somalia and Columbus, talks about what it was like for her to grow up as an immigrant Somali Muslim in the Midwest, and how she, quote, forged an American identity within the parameters of her Somali upbringing. Sahra left Ohio in 2016 and has since traveled the world to become what she describes as a nomadic writer, hiker, thinker, and everything else in between. She's been published in places like Reader's Digest, Outside Magazine, and BestDamnWriting.com. I asked Sahra to share a little bit about what it was like for her to come to the States as an eight-year-old immigrant.
1: Um, yes. Let's see. So it was 1996. I wish I could remember the season. Um, <laughs> so we had, you know, I was coming from a really small village in, um, in the northeast region of Somalia and had never been to a big city uh, except for our time. In, in. we had a short stint in uh, Djibouti. Uh, where I was introduced to electricity for the first time. My first introduction to the US, I believe we landed in New York City and we lived in Jersey City. And my dad had, he had been in the States, I want to say, well, he actually left while just shortly after I was conceived. So he was there for about eight years um, and he was working as a janitor in Penn Station um, and lived in Jersey City and Yeah. I mean, it was, it was wild. It was wild. It's, it's such a, I mean, I guess looking back to, to be introduced to the U.S. by way of New York City is such a, uh, incredible and enriching and also just stark introduction, uh, you know, like big buildings and, you know, people that look like me, but, aren't, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: They're not um they're, they're they're not, you know, they're not from Somalia. In fact, we actually there was only one other Somali family that we knew in Jersey City. We, you know, Muslims band together um in in the tri-state area and so most of my Muslim upbringing were, you know, going to um on the weekends we went to Quran school. Um, An Arabic school uh, and it was mainly Palestinians all our teachers were called them Philistine it took me a long time to even say the word Palestine
0: I did (laughs) not know why is that
1: um well just because like Palestinians call themselves Philistine uh so like it wasn't you know it was it's crazy I mean like it was I was being introduced to all these different cultures and different kinds of Muslims yeah which you know like all you know is that you're wearing the hijab and you're reciting the same Quran, like that's all you know. Um, So it was, you know, it it was, it really was a melting pot. I mean, we got our halal meat from this little Indian square in Jersey City, you know, so like we were um, mingling with, um, you know, Muslims that were Hindi, you know, Arabic speakers, Black Muslims, I mean, you name it. And it didn't really hit me until after we left Jersey City like maybe, yeah, I was 13 after 9-11 and then went to Ohio and then saw that, oh, okay, like Jersey City and New York City are completely different than, uh, suddenly suddenly we were surrounded by Muslims, Somalis, Somalis um, in Ohio. And it was like, oh, I'm not even used to my own people. That's oh, that's what, interesting. yeah, it was it was just wild. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, like it's kind of like very storybook ish um, in the way that it was just full on immersion. Yeah. I think if we would have settled in Columbus, Ohio instead of Jersey City, New Jersey, it would have been totally different.
0: Okay, yeah. well, uh, maybe let's uh, talk about the transition from New York to Columbus, Ohio. And what was that like for you? What? Why did your family move there? And then, yeah, what, what was your experience like there when you first arrived there?
1: I think dad was done with New York and 9-11 really, really changed things. Um, I don't know how much my father, I'm sure that he saw he saw a lot and I'm sure that he was discriminated against, but it's a little bit harder to to say to say what his experience is, because for us, like we wore the hijab. So we saw the discrimination, you know, like we saw how people looked at us on the train. And like we saw how we went from children who, you know, used to go and go to the corner stores or take the train to go see my dad. Um, All of that just kind of just changed overnight. And all of a sudden, like we weren't really children. And I remember all of a sudden my mother would be, like going with us to the mall or going with us to the store or, you know, to protect you. Yeah. Which in the 90s, like, you know, kids were on the train. Like it didn't matter. Like my brother used to sell candy on the train. Like <laughs> it was, you know, it was, it was really, it was very safe. Like it felt safe. But I think, you know, I think dad was done with that. And he also really wanted to be around Somalis. I think that was really important for him. Okay which is ironic because we lived in the suburbs. So um, he saw Somalis, but uh, we didn't until until much later. We moved to Ohio in 2002, summer of 2002. And the first couple of years, we kind of lived in the suburbs. He was always, his business was always in the north side of Columbus, which was where most of the Somalis were. Um, So my younger siblings interacted more with the Somali community.
0: That's fascinating.
1: We did. Like yeah. my mother and I were raising them and then we went off to college and and, and I went to basically an all white, you know, university in, in Appalachia and she was at OSU just grinding, you know. So there wasn't, you know, whereas like my my siblings, all of their friends are Somalis, you know. Yeah, they're yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Do you, do you regret that you don't have more of a connection to the Somali community, and I don't know how has that changed as as you've gotten older. Mm, I wouldn't
1: say I regret it. Um, so I do have some connection. I had friends um, in in high school. I had a couple girls um, that I was friends with that were Somali, and I know. And also we went to we went to Islamic school then too, and we we did encounter Somalis in in, in Islamic school, but. We, you know, then we'd go back home to our little suburban, you know, place. And, you know, and again, we weren't social kids. Like my sister and I weren't social because we had a lot of responsibility. But we know the language, we're fluent. And, you know, um, I I wouldn't say I regret it. The thing is, like, I, you know, as I got older, I started to realize that I was not traditionally Somali. Um, And all the things that I wanted to do, I couldn't really do it within the Somali community because it wouldn't it wouldn't be productive. It just wouldn't take off. Like I wanted what, to, like travel. What? Yeah. Okay, I wanted sorry. to travel. I wanted to write, you know, I wanted to um, just experiment with like um, not wearing the hijab, which, which I don't, you know, and just like, it, I, like I really wanted to go into a self-discovery that I, the, my Somali culture would not, it couldn't happen within those parameters. Yeah. So I had to always be strategic It's almost like it would be inappropriate for me to go to a Somali mall, you know, dressed very Americanized and talk about, you know, going hiking and, you know, talk about, you know, um, traveling solo as a woman. Like it just so I I was always teasing that line. I mean, even till this day when I go back home to Columbus, I make sure I take my scarf with me. So at least my parents are, you know, just out of respect. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I never wanted to ruffle any feathers. I, I've yeah. always wanted to take a diplomatic approach into my self-discovery. Yeah. yeah.
2: You
0: you wrote in the, um, the belt magazine, which I, I really love the article and we'll share it with all of our listeners and in, in the show notes, but you wrote that you, when you arrived there, you became Sarah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was that? Sarah before that. Oh, okay. I was Sarah. I was Sarah the moment that I the moment that I realized um, that Americans had a hard time saying my name, I like they they called me Sarah. And I just never corrected it because it just sounded, you know, like at the time I was assimilating. When I went to Columbus, Ohio, I, I was in sixth grade and my sister and I both skipped the grade. So I went to I went to eighth. Poor thing went to straight high school.
0: Oh, <laughs>
1: For her, yeah. um, uh, you know, to go from seventh grade to you know, to a high school in a completely you know, in the Midwest, um, right? But yeah, I, I was Sarah that whole time. I was Sarah from the time I was maybe 11, 12 to when did I start? I think I was like 20. I'm so embarrassed to say it until I was 27, and I'll be 32 this year, so like that's pretty wild.
0: Well, what did that mean to you? And... Uh, you also heard that your family started calling you Sarah as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My, I still have to correct my older sister <laughs> all the time. It's wild. So her, her, she, her name is a little is a. It's not as hard. It's Hawa, H A W A. So she's never really. I mean, I mean, she did. People did call her. I I used to call her all kinds of things. Um, I used to call her Howard, but that was just
0: <laughs> to <a> tease her. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but. Um, she, yeah, she always, call, like, even to like, when we have a conversation, she'll, she'll say, she's like, Oh no, Sarah. And I'm like, stop calling me that. And I'm like, you know, like my writing is out there. Like, I, I, I can't, like, I like what does it look like if my family's calling me Sarah? I'm like, stop calling me Sarah. She's like, Oh, okay. Whatever. You know, she, teases yeah. me. Um, but yeah, they, they got on board. And what's interesting is Sarah or Sahara. my dad named me Sahara. So that's not even my real name. Da-da-da. No,
0: <laughs> full school, yeah.
1: That's not even my name. My mom named me uh, a different name, Ifrah, Ifrah, which means happy in um, oh, Arabic. Nice. So the story is dad, I, like, so I was conceived and then I was born. And I think dad did see me before I was, um, before he left. Um, I think I was a couple months old. And then mom named me Ifrah. And then we came to the U.S., and Dad was like, "My daughter, like you know, he had you know he, he <laughs> technically you know he 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 was responsible for the documents." So, <laughs> excuse me, he said, uh, "Her name is Sahra. So there's always been a, so at home I'm known as Ifrah, my my immediate family. Oh, amazing! And then you know, what's really fascinating is so many people in my past still know me as Sarah. Yeah. I just don't really talk to them. Sure. Like if I think of like the first guy I dated, he knew me as Sarah for like years and he probably still knows me as Sarah.
0: Yeah. It's it, it's interesting, you know. I, I think I struggle with this well, struggle is the wrong word, but for, for me, you know, at home I'm Assad and mm-hmm. at at work or, you know, to my friends, uh, I'm Assad. And even to my wife, I'm Assad, you know, and it's it's really interesting. Um, I guess for, for you, how did what what is the identity of Sahra versus Sarah? why I guess what what was the reason for calling yourself Sarah or or sticking with it? And how's how is that Sarah different from who you are now?
1: I think our names are really, really important. I think the way what people call you is important. And I think when I was Sarah, I, I was a persona. I wasn't really myself, right? Because first of all, like I'm you know, Sarah is like you can hear it. You know that it's not American, you know, you know, and most Sarah's, I think maybe 99% Sarah's I met are white. So it's like, e- even in, you know, even in New York City, I, I remember, you know, when I started correcting my name uh, a few years ago, uh, this guy that I knew um, who in, in New York. You know, he he would say, "Oh yeah, no, you should definitely call yourself Sahara." He's like, "You're not, you know," and he was Jewish, and he was like, "You know, you're not a Jewish girl from Long Island." <laughs> you know, like to him, like that's what Sarah was, right? right, right. Um, so it's like it, it it's. I think it's deeper. I think once I started saying Sahara, I st- I, I I gave myself just permission to, like, really think about who made me and what made me, you know, like it's, you know, and everyone in my family can stand behind their name and I've never been able to stand behind my name. Um, and I think that, especially for me, cause I'm a thinker, I'm always thinking. So it just, and I'm always trying to like get at the truth and it takes me a long, long time to investigate things. And it just didn't make any sense that I was focusing on investigating so many other you know, languages and words and, you know, and not myself, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. You wrote that I did not know the trauma that I ignored by burying the implications of my Muslim name. Mm-hmm. What was some of that trauma?
1: I think a lot of the trauma was probably around 9-11. I didn't really process it until much later. And also, you know, I didn't see a lot of direct you know trauma and war um, in Somalia, but it was always going on. Especially when I was, you know, I was born in '89, and the war started shortly after that. Um, so I, I really, quite literally, am, you know, like a war baby. But I think, it, yeah, I think it was nine eleven. I mean, it, it just goes to show you that psychologically, we we really do repress and and just to try to get by. And it's crazy that when we got to. When we got to Ohio, I had to let go of 9-11. I, I never thought of 9-11 again. And 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 in that way, I kind of broke off from, you know, the way that the rest of the U.S. views 9-11. Because I, like, my experience of 9-11 was really contentious and was really traumatic. But I was young. Also, you know, Somali culture, you know, where... And I'm actually I'm investigating this a lot, meditating on this a lot for my writing um, and even my DEI stuff these days, which is like you know what what is in your history. I mean Somalia has you know been in conflict for a very very long time, and it has its own traumas. And we're very adaptable people, but we have a hard time assimilating um, because we're we're constantly just focused on survival. And like that kind of stuff psychologically stays with you. As I look back, I think that it was a natural, almost inherited psychological response for me to get away from 9-11 mentally to kind of go on and then not confront the actual um, event. I mean, I didn't, it wasn't like disassociation because I, you know, I think as a human being, I remembered it, like I remember it as a... um, as, as something that happened, but I, I did not connect with it. And it's really, and that was on purpose. That was by design. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, I write in the piece that it wasn't until I heard a country song, you know, that was alluding to it um, when I was like 20, 21 years old. And all of a sudden it was like, oh no, I was there. Oh no, we were, you know, we were affected. Um, and that, that was very painful. Like that's really unfortunate.
0: More with my conversation with Sahra Ali coming up after the break. This is American Muslim Project.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. When you go to Talkspace.com, match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com.
0: Welcome back to American Muslim Project. My guest today is writer Sahra Ali. Her most recent piece is in Belt Magazine and talks about her experience as a Somali American Muslim growing up in the Midwest. She talked to me about what it was like to have a religious upbringing.
1: You know, we, we went to Islamic school, um, which consisted of, you know, Arabic courses and Quran, memorizing the Quran. And I was actually really good at it. Um, my parents, <laughs> my parents actually thought that I was going to be a, obviously I couldn't be a, you know, a sheikh or anything, but um, due to, you know, it's not really a lot of women that are doing that, but they they thought I was going to be this, you know, religious very muslim scholar
0: who is that what you wanted to be um
1: not really i like i i mean i was i used to win quran competitions oh amazing (laughs) yeah well because i liked memorizing and i liked language it wasn't because i was competitive at all because i'm I'm, i don't consider myself competitive um, unless i'm competing with myself um but yeah they just thought that oh you know like in 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 at least in our Muslim culture in Somalia, how Muslim you are is really determined by like your performance of it, right? So wearing hijab and, you know, if you're um, doing traditional things. And if you know the Quran and if you know the backstories and, you know, the prophets, like all of that kind of legitimizes you, you know, like that's a, that's a very Muslim person.
0: Yeah. Wait, can uh, you, can you, can you I, I, cause I've never been to a, a competition like this. Can you kind of set the <laughs> stage for us? Well, uh, is this at the mosque and yeah. how many people are competing and, you know, um, how, how long was your recitation
1: Um, Well, it depends, right? So they had it in different categories because, you know, the Quran is very long, which I, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I've never finished it. Although I do, I do want to, um, you know, finish it, which is so interesting. So like we were reciting, you know, I was really young. I was probably, this was maybe between, I don't know, 10 and 13 or something. Um, And we went to Islamic school every weekend. So think of it as like Bible study, right? So they, they, they would have these competitions for depending on whatever chapter you were in. And if you, you know, if you did really well, there's probably, I don't know, like maybe 30, 30 of us, not the whole competition, but just like together. Um, and like we were, I mean, we didn't really take it seriously. I mean, we were kids, you know, like yeah. I remember. I remember we used to make fun of the certain words, like the accent. We used to make fun of like the accent of, you know, our teacher, you know, she would try to like teach us uh, what the word peach is in Arabic and, um, Arabic. and, and we like, it sounded like she was saying the B word. So we, would, like, we, would make fun, like, we were kids, you know, like, we, sure, yeah. yeah, we were not, you know, so to the extent that I took the competition seriously was just, I was just good at it. So um, and and there was always like you know a monetary reward, and I wanted like to buy. A monetary pizza.
0: reward? No. What was the what, how much?
1: <laughs> the most I ever made in my Quran memorizing career was um 125 dollars, which a lot, is a lot which yeah. is a lot. And I split it with my sister, and we went we went shopping for for clothes. I remember.
0: That's amazing. That's great. <laughs> I just you know you the you brought back the memory of when we would go to um, Sunday school. uh, We still quote a lot of our, the way that some of our teachers used to say different words, uh, my friends and I still on text will will quote various teachers. It's so funny. I hadn't really thought about that.
1: I mean, that was a lot, right? I mean, like, you know, you go to school for five days a week and, you know, five days a week, I was trying to be the best that I could be um, assimilating and learning English. And then, you know, the other two days our parents made us go Um, because that was kind of like the biggest continuity, right? I mean, everything was so new to us. So it was, you know, we went to Islamic school, um, in, in Somalia. We actually went to Islamic school, uh, before, I don't think we ever actually went to school school. Like I, I think we learned like the outfit. No, that's a lie. We didn't, we didn't because I never learned how to read and write in Somali until I I think I was 16. I taught myself. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So, so uh, English was the first language I learned to read and write and speak.
0: That's fascinating. Then,
1: yeah. It, it's wild. And then and then Arabic was the first language I learned to read and write in. And then Somali was the language that I learned to, you know, to, to just speak socially. Sure. Yeah. So it was like there was always things happening.
0: Yeah. At home, I imagine you're speaking Somali.
1: Mm-hmm. In school, mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm.
0: And then on the weekends, you're learning Arabic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think, I, I didn't think about it. I mean, I guess you don't think about it when you're younger. Yeah. You don't think about how all these things are touching you. Um, but then as you get older, you start to realize, well, why do I like this? Where did that come from? You know, when you're kind of piecing it together, especially as a writer. So,
0: yeah. You, you mentioned earlier that your first yeah, your first foray into poetry was when you were memorizing the Quran. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how that, you know, that the, the Quran is is so poetic?
1: It is. It is. It's so beautiful. Arabic is so beautiful. You know, I, I was just having a conversation with my friend about this. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting when you don't have a formal education, but you start memorizing something. Like you start to realize just how powerful that is. Right. Um, if you think of like, really uh, great orators and, and, and writers of either our time or before our time, uh, you know, someone like James Baldwin, right? Um, someone like Mar- Marcus Garvey. Uh, like it, it's, it, you know, you start to realize, well, how did these people learn to speak so well? How do they? And it's like you, when you realize that, you know, uh, James Baldwin started um, as a kid preacher, <laughs> like that's, that's crazy. Right. I mean, and, and all of that is, it is a performance. It is memorization. It, it starts there. Um, and, and the Quran really, really got me into like this, just a way of approaching learning that was just judgment free, you know, like I, all I, I didn't know what I was reading. So like, and you're being indoctrined and you don't even know it. You're just yeah. reading. And the Quran sounds beautiful. I mean, if, you know, if you talk to people who are not Muslim, who go to Muslim countries and they hear the Adan, they're always like, oh, like, it's it's my favorite time of the day, you know, when I when I hear that.
2: The call to prayer.
1: The call to prayer. And, and, and it's just so fascinating to me because I don't understand how the same way that you know, Shakespeare is important to me the same way that, you know, um, Langston Hughes is important to me the same way that Toni Morrison, all these people that, you know, I I, I look at all these people that I like that. It's crazy to me that. Islam, you know there, what? There's over a billion. There's over a billion Muslims. Close to
0: two, I think. Yeah.
1: Uh, and it's like it's so wild that it has not culturally caught on like the like the fact that no one very few people know uh you know a sura or know the call to prayer even though we like I know amazing grace I have no business knowing amazing yeah.
0: grace right? <laughs> yeah it's but all ingrained in us right
1: exactly I know certain you know Christian gospels I know you know certain Japanese uh chants you know so it's like how like it is it's absolutely beautiful and and you know they they i don't know if you call it singing would you call it singing like singing the quran you know like how they they have those um
0: yeah i, I, I guess i would just say reciting but yeah singing is probably an accurate
1: it sounds word. like it right yeah, like right. people who really you know um when they're leading you know read prayer Right, and it's like you get you know you get the best of the best up there, and they're just like really showing off with their beautiful, crisp voice. It's it's amazing. It's it's um it's joyful. It's very joyful, and I just don't understand how you know we're supposed to, as immigrants um, and as you know Muslims, we're supposed to be all about Merry Christmas and Jingle Bells and know all of that, and yet. You know, this beautiful poetry is out there in the form of the Quran, and um, and and people who study it, you know, academics, and um, they, they 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 definitely speak to it. They speak to oh, it is a really beautiful, unifying, communal, joyful um, experience uh, to witness. And I, I'm I'm really in a process of like as I write and as my writing gets out there. I'm trying to uh, pay homage to, well, you know, I didn't conceive of this on my own.
0: Will you recite some for us?
1: Mm, I hope I don't mess it up.
0: <laughs> if you mess it up, you can do it again and nobody will ever know.
1: <laughs> no, you will know. Um, look, look, like, do you, do you, you know, you know the the Fatah, right? I do, like, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. let's see if well, I remember. I, I mean, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm not um, a religious Muslim, I will say.
1: <laughs> no, it's not, which, which is hilarious, right? Like that's another thing too. Like I'm not, you know, I was listening. I listened to um, your podcast uh, a few episodes, and there was this. I think it was, was it? Um, Yasmine? Yeah, Yasmin, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and 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 she was, you know, how she was talking about um how she's so connected to you know her traditional Muslim family, um, and and she's not like that at all. Um, but I'm I'm the same exact way. Like I, you know, Ramadan's coming up, like I'm you know, I'm not I, I can't say that I'm, you know, deeply religious or deeply right. practicing, but you know, it's it's ingrained. It's and I appreciate it. Um well, I
0: think so, that's one of yeah. the things that I write, like about your writing is that I think that you have expressed um in many ways uh the way that I feel, you know, as mm-hmm. as a quote unquote, you know, Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that's why I appreciate, you know, why I wanted you on the show.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating how much it's resonated with people. It's resonated with so many different kinds of Muslims. Like Black, like I've had, you know, Black Muslims reach out to me. You reached out to me. Like, and even just even non-Muslims, like just seeing. And I think that's like the most Muslim piece I've ever written.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, so let's see. Um. So this is the Surah that we say. Um. You know, just at the start of every prayer, you start with this one, right? And I think it's the first surah. Um, okay, let's see. Let me get into poetry mode. Bismillah rahmanir rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawm Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nastaqeen. Ihdina al-Surat al-Mustaqeen. And as you know, everyone says afterwards, Ameen. I Ameen. I it's just so beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Oh, yeah. As I was
0: watching you, you you were kind of like, like I could tell that you were feeling it, right? Mm-hmm. Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah. Which is, um, you know, um which is interesting right because when I uh I I was telling you earlier about about um how much I love Shakespeare and uh um how like when I was when I was 16 I think a lot of people have experiences where they have a teacher um in school that makes them recite it's another reciting thing right that they make you memorize (laughs) um and they made us they made us memorize a sonnet um and it was uh, it was sonnet one sixteen. And um, if you don't mind, I'll, I, I can I can recite it. Please. I, I I feel the same. I feel like that's where my writing lives. That's where my assimilation lives. It's it lives in poetry, whether it is you know the Quran, um, whether it is you know, um, or whether it's Shakespeare and you know everything else in between. Um, so sonnet one sixteen. Mm. Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. Love is not love which alters when it alteration finds or bends with the remover to remove. Oh no, it is an ever-fixed moment that looks on tempest and is never shaken. It is the star to every wandering bark whose words unknown, although his height be taken. Love is not a time's fool, though rosy lips... Within his bending sickle, compass come. Love alters, not with his brief hours or weeks, but bears it out to the edge of doom. If this be error upon me proved, I never writ, nor no man ever loved. God, I hope I
0: got that right. (laughs) (laughs) It sounded right to me. (laughs) And it sounded beautiful again, yeah. (laughs)
1: Oh, man. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I hope I got that right. I mean, <laughs> Shakespeare lovers might, might you know, come after me if I don't. And I work yeah. at, a, you know, a humanities, I work at a culture organization in, in Vermont. So um,
0: they're going to kick yeah, you up.
1: Yeah, they're really, <laughs> we're, we're all really into Shakespeare. So I uh, hope I got it. Right. Well,
0: mm. I just want to thank you so much for joining the show. It's been really just great chatting with you and getting to know you and i look forward to uh reading your future writing and your book of poetry thank you so much for joining american muslim project
1: thank you so much for having me
0: my conversation with sahara was recorded in march of 2021 you can find out more about her via her website saharaali.com we'll have a link to that in the show notes Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you have a chance, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would be very helpful. And if you have a chance, maybe even tell a friend about what we're doing here. We'd be super grateful for that as well. American Muslim Project is a production of Rafaelion Media. Today's show was produced and edited by Lindsey Gamble, Mark Inato, and me, Asad Butt. Simon Hutchinson did our theme music. You can check us out online at AmericanMuslimProject.com.